In Jesus' name, Amen. 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 Uh, friends, we've been doing a series on assurance. Uh, if you're, this is our third week. If you haven't been with us, I'm going to tell you what we'll be talking about. And we're going to go for seven weeks. It's really exciting. I'm, as in assurance that you're a Christian, assurance that I will be in, to have eternal life in heaven in the age to come, in God's kingdom. Um, let me tell you where we've been so far. Um, Stuart, two weeks ago, he got us to ask this question. We've got a man here. We're going to fill out this picture over, over the course of the sermon today. Um, he asked us this question two, not, two, two weeks ago, and it's very, very important. He said, if you were to die tonight, and God were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? We're talking about assurance. And assurance has to do with hearing that question and not being intimidated by it, because you know what the confidence is in the face of, why should you get into heaven? And the confidence that Stuart pointed us to was, in a word, Jesus. Jesus' death and resurrection. Confidence because Jesus died for me. So this guy can be confident. I, I trust in Jesus' death and resurrection on my behalf. I'm trusting in him. He died to save me. Had nothing to do with what I did to deserve it. Just he died for me. He gave my sins because of what he did. I'm sure that one day I'll be in his kingdom forever. And so Stuart reminded us from Hebrews 10. Um, listen to these words. Incredible from Hebrews 10. It says, By Jesus' one sacrifice, he has made his people perfect forever. You worry, you lack assurance. He has made his people perfect forever, those who trust in Jesus. Therefore, it says, we have confidence to enter God's presence in eternity if we're trusting in Jesus. Friends, do you know this confidence? Do you face the prospect of meeting your maker and judge with confidence? Bold, I approach the eternal throne to claim the crown through Christ my own. Can you say that? It's, this is the starting point of assurance. It's the bottom line. I was at the cathedral, uh, St. Andrew's Cathedral in the city uh, a couple of years ago, I think we're talking about now. I met a guy there who, I think he was from Peru. Uh, he, was, he was straight to it though, he didn't want to talk about where he was from. He just says, hey, you're a Christian, what's, what's Christianity have to offer me? Straight away, well, like, what's the, center, the central thing? What's the key thing Christians have to offer? I said, assurance. I said, you can walk away from this conversation knowing you're in a right relationship with God and one day you will be in his kingdom forever. That's what Christianity has to offer. It's not to do with you and what you deserve. It's because Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and if you trust in him, you can have a certain will be there. That's what Christianity has to offer. Jesus offers us a perfect record in God's sight. Last week, Stuart made it more complicated, though, and we're going to make it more complicated over the series because the Bible does. By complicated, I don't mean less assurance. I just mean there's more to say, and it really matters that we learn about the all that the Bible has to say. Last week, Stuart asked us the question, so I've prayed the prayer, as in, I've prayed to God, I repent of my sins, I trust in Jesus, I want to be a Christian, I'm looking forward to being in the kingdom now. Uh, forgive me. And you're guaranteed eternal life, but I'm, am I eternally secure now, no matter what I do? And the answer is no. Uh, no matter what you do, the, one moment in time, you pray a prayer, it is not just about one moment in time praying a prayer. So you actually have to broaden the lens. You look at the context of a whole life lived, and what's actually happening here is you start a race. The race isn't about doing things so much. It's about trusting in Jesus. It's about having the confidence you start as a Christian with and holding on to it firm to the end. It's about from now to the rest of my life or when the Lord Jesus returns to claim me, trusting in him to the end. So that when I arrive at the gates of heaven, I'll be trusting him. I'll have the same confidence I do today. So the Bible calls us to this race. Endurance, it really matters. You've got to get to the end of this race. What's, what's the end of endurance race? Well, this particular race, uh, 
There's no prizes for first. It's finishing that matters. Uh, it's a race of endurance. It's a marathon. There's two things at the end of the race. There's a finish line and the things at the other side of the finish line. This race of faith in Jesus is the point at which you're saved from judgment. You'll be resurrected to eternal life, just like Jesus if you're raised from the dead to eternal life, and you'll be welcomed into God's kingdom. Now, you notice they're future things, aren't they? They're, they're not today things. They're things we wait for, right? So we need to run the race. We must complete the race in order to get them. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 3. He says, I haven't already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Jesus Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do is the race. Forgetting what's behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which Jesus has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He sees salvation in the future and he's running towards it by faith. That's what the Christian life is. It's a race to the end. You need to get to the end to attain the salvation that Jesus has won for us. Trusting in Jesus the whole way. So praying a prayer of faith, it's a wonderful way. It's the way you start the Christian life, but it's only the start of the Christian life. It's only the start of the race. Now we're in a track on a course that we must complete. So we heard from Hebrews 12. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Friends, if you were to be saved, this is a race you must complete, holding firm to Jesus. And that's the point at which anxiety begins to creep in again, doesn't it? Is finishing the race all up to me? Some of you I know know people who once called themselves Christians who don't anymore. Uh, I know people like that. Some of them outright deny Jesus now, others just don't seem to care about Christianity anymore, and you're actually left wondering where they're at at all. You just don't know. It's a good, honest question. How can I, how can I know I'll endure to the end of the race? If, if it doesn't so much matter that I'm just trusting today, but I have to be trusting towards when I die or when Jesus returns. How can I have assurance? It's easy to be naive, and I've got to be honest. I've seen enough of life to know that I don't know what the future will bring and I don't know how, how hard life will get for me. And you don't know how hard life will get for you in the future. Um, others have, it seems, as a result of their experience or whatever, they've gotten to a place where they find it impossible to keep running the race in Jesus. How do I know that won't happen to me? I don't know what's in front of me. So this is where we're starting to get talking about assurance. How do I know I'll get to the end of this race and get that prize of eternal life? <coughs> Let me transform Stuart's first questions from the other week. If you were to die in five years, and God would ask you then, why should I let you in heaven? Will you still be saying Jesus? If I were to ask you in 20 years, if you died then, you see what the issue is. See, friends, if salvation is at the end of the race and it depends on my ability to trust in Jesus, come what may, then Christian assurance doesn't seem very convincing anymore. That's what we need to talk about today. I want to present three races to you just to give you something to think about. Here's the first race. The Sun Herald City to Surf, 14 kilometres of joyful jogging. I'm sure you'll all be into it. Uh, yes, go and do it. It's next year. Friends, I want to present three races to you, and I want you to think through your level of confidence that you get to the end of the race if we were to start this afternoon. Okay? City to Surf, 14 kilometres. Put your hand up, think you're going to make it? Who's going to make it? You can take your time. It doesn't matter how long. Oh, well, that's all right. That's fine. Give me a week. Okay, good, good. We're, we're, we're obviously way hardcore for the... All right, I'm going to start my own event. 
This is my race that I'm starting. I'm organising, so you can't criticise it. You can just join it. You have to run this race. The city of Perth. Top of Google Maps, it says you should fly, and it takes four hours fifty. But we're not flying. We're doing three thousand nine hundred thirty-four kilometres on foot. Just be thankful we're not going via Wagga, or it'll be another ten k's. There you go. I'm being really generous. <laughs> Who's confident that they can make it again? You can take the time. Good, we've got some trouble legs. You guys think it's hard to run. I've got to organise 2,200 drink stops along the way. So it's, the same, it's the same scale as the city of the surf, right? Um, confidence is waning. Let me tell you about a third race. It's not going to come up on the screen. Here's the third race. The third race is, I'm not going to tell you where the finish line is. I'm not going to tell you how long the race is. It could be 8 kilometres, it could be 8,000 kilometres. You won't know until you get to the finish line. All you need to do is continue in following the directions marked out for you on the road and at some unknown point in the future you'll arrive at the finish line. How confident are you you'll finish that race? Completely unknown, right? Three races, three different levels of confidences. Uh, let me ask you, why are you confident you would make it on the ones you would make it? Just give me some reasons. Why, the ones you said you would make, why, why would you make it? They have a destination. Have a destination, yep. Done it before. You can assess your own ability. Assess your own ability. Yep. I think that's yeah. That, that's it. It's experience. It's assessing your own ability. See, completing a foot race has to do with me and my personal resources. It's got to do with my personal fitness, my personal training. It's got to do with my access to water and food and whatever else I need to complete the race. Here's the problem. Everybody has a finite number of personal resources to finish a race. It doesn't matter if you're the most unfit person in the world to the Olympic marathon, you know, obviously from Ethiopia or somewhere like that. They have limited resources too. And it's not a question of whether they'll finish the race. It's just a matter of which race will they fail at. Because there is a race that's long enough and hard enough that everybody will fail. Eventually, if it's about me and my resources. Isn't that true? It's just a matter of how long the race is, how hard the race is. Even the Energizer Bunny stops at some point. You get the point. There's a limited number of resources. Everyone has a limit to their ability to keep running. So we've seen Christians have to run the race firm to the end. It depends on me and my spiritual resources, my level of faith, and the length of the race is unknown. I know the destination is Jesus and his kingdom. Far out, I don't have confidence. It's about me and my faith and my personal strength and spiritual power and all this sort of stuff. Completing the race depends on me. I've got to say, assurance of salvation is nonsense. And uh, when I'm doing badly in life, uh, confidence can only be replaced by despair. But that's not the way the Bible presents it, mercifully. The Bible doesn't teach us to have confidence in our own ability to run a race. Christians don't trust their own spiritual resources. I want you to imagine for a moment that God guaranteed that his chosen people would get to the end of the race, that he'd provide everything they need to get to the end of the race. Now, just think for a minute. What resources has God got at his disposal to achieve that? Everything. Everything? Oh yeah, that's right. The creator and sustainer of everything, the Lord of history, he's got a fair he's got a fair bit of resources at his disposal. Friends, today I want us to concentrate on what God contributes to our running the uh, finishing the race by faith. If it depends on me what I've got, I don't have confidence, but I'll tell you what, if it depends on him, then it doesn't matter what happens in the race to a certain extent. See, it's possible I may stumble, I'll fall over, I might make a fool of myself, I might be puffed out, I might get confused on the way, I might even break a leg. But if the Lord of all history says, you're going to get to the end of the race, I will get to the end of the race. 
because he'll give me everything necessary to get to the end of the race. Isn't that wonderful? We're going to look at that today. This is where confidence comes from in running the race. Um, you've got a second reading open probably. Can you open to the, the book of Ephesians, which is our first reading? And what I want to do is I want to paint on the screen kind of a, a theology picture, a big picture, assurance, a big picture. And um, what it's going to do is we're going to piece together some of the big ideas that relate to having assurance as a Christian that we'll get to the end of the race. And it's going to open lots of big questions. At the end of this, you better have questions. We're going to have a question box at the back. Please ask your questions. We've got a question and answer session in a few weeks. If you don't ask questions, it's a problem for our question and answer session. And if you haven't got questions after today, you haven't been listening. So ask your questions. Um, Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to paint this theology picture on the screen with a big picture. Um, and we're going to start right at the beginning about what God does for his people before time even begins. And that's it. The Bible says his people are predestined for salvation. So we had two pieces of the puzzle already. A Christian is a person who confesses faith in Jesus, and they're called to have that confidence firm to the end. You've got those pieces of the picture in place. They're, they're pretty. If you get nothing else, please hold on to those. Um, we're going to keep adding to that. But have, start with a Christian is a person who trusts in Jesus. How do they uh, come to trust in Jesus? We'll have a look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. How? Well, he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Before the world was made, God chose who would be his, who would belong to him for all eternity. The specific people that would get there in the end. That's what it says. Predestined before time, uh, you're going, that, that means it's entirely God's work of salvation, it's all up to God. God doesn't entirely, I can't think myself for my ability to work out Jesus. God gave that to me because he chose me. See, salvation's all God's job at this point. Now, you've got heaps of questions immediately. Use the question box. Great. I just want you to notice. If that's true, that means that group, even before times began, began, are guaranteed that they will get to the end of the race. You want to be in that group. Let's go to a second group, a second thing. Other end of the scale, end of history, right? Uh, in the book of Revelation, uh, if you're a quick Bible flicker, you can turn there, Revelation 20, but you can just leave, stay in Ephesians if you want, because we'll come back there. Um, Revelation chapter 20, uh, we hear about this thing called the book of life, and it's basically, I don't know if it literally exists or anything, it's, it, it's at least a presentation of the idea that God has a list of those who get into his kingdom in the end. And we hear about it from the perspective of Judgment Day in Revelation chapter 20, in verse 11 and following. It says, uh, this is the Apostle John talking, he says, Then I saw a, a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. This is God judging. Uh, and then I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Here's a good bit. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. Make note of that. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. So there's judgment according to what people have done during their life, what they deserve to get. Uh, the sea gave up the dead that were in it, the dead in Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. It's a pretty terrifying picture. I 
want you to notice everybody <coughs> who was judged, who was condemned, got what they deserved based on what they had done in life. But there's a second group of people that's in there. This is another book, a book of life. And it doesn't have to do with what they did. It's got to do, these are forgiven people who get what they don't deserve because Jesus died for them and they're trusting him. And that group of people are given eternal life. <coughs> so again, we've got list of people, end of history, that specific group of people are absolutely guaranteed final salvation. Now, big ideas, right? They're the outer edges of history. So we've got before the foundation of the world, we've got the end of the world. There's also a guarantee that God gives right in the middle of history, in the middle of your own experience, which is really important that we're going to talk about now. So flick back to the book of Ephesians. Uh, we find it again on the history. The book of Ephesians. What we're going to describe from verse 11 is just normal Christian conversion. How people become a Christian, uh, and when somebody really becomes a Christian, there's a guarantee built into it. I'll put it on the board. It's when they're sealed by the Holy Spirit. Listen to it described in, in Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, it says, In him we were cho also chosen, but the predestination thing again, of having been predestined according to the plan of God who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, his just normal experience of becoming a Christian. You heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Listen to verse 14, it's amazing. Who is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance at the end of history until the redemption of those who are at God's possession? to the praise of His glory. Did you notice what that said? The Holy Spirit is a down payment that people receive when they become Christians. When I say become Christians, I mean legitimately, really, fully become Christians. We're going to talk about that more. At that point, they receive the Holy Spirit who marks them out as God's property for all eternity and ensures that they will get to the end of the race. It's not just me and my resources anymore, is it? It's like the Spirit says, you see this tired, weak, scrawny runner here? I'll be present with him or her every day for the rest of their lives. I will empower them to trust Jesus with endurance to the very end, and on the final day, I'll finish what I started. I'll raise them to perfect, resurrected, eternal life, just like what I did with the Lord Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit says. When people are really genuinely converted, they're sealed with the Spirit. Those sealed by the Holy Spirit are absolutely guaranteed final salvation. That's great, isn't it? <laughs> We've got a lot more to say about Turned up Romans chapter 8. And Romans chapter 8 is going to be helpful because it ties all these big ideas together. We've heard three absolute guarantees of salvation because of what God does, not because of what we do. God in his sovereignty, is in control of all things, in a way we can't understand, is choosing people and saving them. Have a look at Romans chapter 8, verse 28 to 30. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Who've been, who've been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among any brothers and sisters. Verse 30 is the bit we really need to concentrate on. You'll see this line of logic through what we've already been talking about. Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Predestined, so he's written there, eternal destinations before the foundation of the world. Um, called is the sealed with the spirit thing again, really. It means God ensures that this group of people is predestined, come out hearing the gospel, and by the power of the spirit, respond with faith. 
That's what called means. They're justified. It means he declares them to be in the right with him now because they're trusting Jesus, because the Spirit's taught them to trust in Jesus. Don't let the last bit pass you by, though. That same group of people are glorified. That means from that point on to the end of the race, and we should be pointing at this, from this point on, we're sealed by the Spirit, to the end of the race, he makes sure they move from there to there. And nobody falls. There's no remainder. There's, nobody falls away. No loopholes. It's been called the golden chain of God's plan of salvation. Because you read the text and you go, well, the, it's lines between it. The people predestined, the same group of people predestined, sealed by the Spirit, they hear the gospel, they trust Jesus, and they persevere to the end of the race and get to the end. God saves people and makes sure that same group of people get to the end of the race. See, friends, the point is that God saves people. By saves people, I mean he saves people. I don't mean he makes salvation a possibility for them. I mean God saves people. He doesn't stand in heaven and go, I sent Jesus to die for their sins. Gosh, I hope some people will believe in him. He says, I'm going to make that person believe in my, my son. I predestined them for salvation. I'm going to give them salvation by the Spirit. I'm going to wake their hearts and minds up so they respond to the gospel. And I'm going to see them safely home. God saves people. Listen to what the Lord Jesus says. In chapter, uh, John chapter 6, this is what he says. He says, all those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, will never, I will never drive away. For I've come down to heaven not to do my will, but the will of my Father who sent me. And this is my, my Father's will who sent me, that I shall lose none of those he's given me, but I'll raise them up at the last day. Jesus' personal job is to make sure the people that the Father has predestined and given to him get to the end of the race. That's what Jesus says. And the result is the kind of confidence that Romans 8 expresses that you can't get any other way. See this big picture? Those predestined, sealed by the Spirit, will get to the end of the race, all in God's power. That's the source of confidence that the Apostle Paul has when you get one of the most exalted uh, statements of assurance in the whole Bible. Have a look from verse 31. Because it doesn't matter what's ahead of you in the race anymore. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those who God's justified? It's God who those God has chosen for doing that. It's God who justifies, who condemns no one. Jesus died, Jesus rose, and is at the right hand of the Father, and is interceding for us. Here's the difficult things in the path, along the race. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble? Shall hardship? Shall persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written in the Old Testament, for, we, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered sheep to be slaughtered? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him he loved us. For I'm convinced that all that list of things, nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Jesus. I'm convinced that come what may in the race, those God has who God has chosen, called, justified, he will finally glorify. Come what may along the race. Has nothing to do with my resources and my ability. It has to confidence in God's power to save. Now friends, there's some big ideas. I'm sure you have questions, I hope you ask them. Uh, but I want to say, if you reject this big picture, I don't think ultimately you can have assurance of salvation as a Christian. Because otherwise it's just me running a race, trusting you, hoping that I have enough ability to keep trusting to get to the end. But if God's in control, 
if God's the boss, if God's providing for the journey and not me, well, I have confidence in him and not me. Now, there's two problems, which this just opens cans of worms everywhere. You just have to keep coming back and hearing more, right? Two big problems. And that's why the series goes for another few weeks. Problem number one. How do you know you're elect? How do you know God chose you? <laughs> I've already asked it. See, have a look at our things on the screen. Predestined. Can you see who's predestined? Do you have that list? No. Not, it's invisible to us. Can you see who has the Holy Spirit? Like, can, the Spirit's invisible, right? The Spirit lives in something. You can't see the Holy Spirit. So, no. Can you look into the Book of Life and see whose names are written in it? No. Uh, <laughs> So how do you know you're one of those people guaranteed salvation? Well, you can see people naming Jesus as Lord, but the Bible does warn us that there's such thing as faith that isn't genuine and there's self-delusional trust in Jesus and so on. Um, there's a group called the elect who are guaranteed salvation. How can I know that I'm one of them? Um, and then you get all sorts of tricky responses and people really worrying a lot and you feel like we're back where we started. We're not back where we started. Uh, if you were in a life group, you read 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 during the week. A lot of you, my group didn't, that was bad, wasn't it? Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and this is really common uh, in the New Testament. Let me just read what the Apostle Paul says to this church. I'm just going to read 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 4. He says, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that He has chosen you. Did you hear that? We know that you people, you Christians in Thessalonica, I know that God has chosen you. I know that this big picture is talking about you. You will get to the end of the race. And he says, why? And you'll just have to read it later and see why. Short answer. Um, think about it for a minute. Without medical investigation, how can you tell someone has the flu? Symptoms? symptoms. <coughs> yeah, presenting symptoms. Over time... The infection of God's life-giving spirit will grow and spread and present more acutely lots of symptoms. And Paul talks about lots of symptoms they have that the spirit really has given them new life. And so what we're going to be talking about over the coming weeks are these outward symptoms of new life. You can't see who on the inside has the Holy Spirit marking them out as God's property, but you can see some symptoms of that. And as you see the symptoms of this wonderful disease called new life in Jesus by the spirit, as you see it grow and present itself more acutely, you have more and more confidence, you actually grow in confidence, you discover your election, you grow in confidence, you're predestined. Because you're trusting in Jesus and God's doing a wonderful work in you and in those around you. There's really wonderful stuff we have to talk about. The sealing of the Spirit always changes people. Anyway, lots to talk about there. Second problem uh, that people are going to bring up. Um, I look at the big picture here and it looks to me a lot like fatalism. Yeah? It looks like it's just like God's decided and what God's decided is going to happen. It doesn't matter what I do. It's fatalism. If I'm elect, I'll get there. If I'm not elect, I won't get there. So I'm not going to do anything. Does that sound like that's a big problem, right? Let me briefly answer that. You're going to put more questions in the question box. No, it's not fatalism. Here's the difference. Fatalism says your destiny is set. It doesn't matter what you do. Christianity says your destiny is set. So it matters that you make use of the provisions God gives you to get there. I'll say it again. It's going to mess with your brain if you really think about it, but it's true. It's what the Bible says. Fatalism says your destiny is set, so it doesn't matter what you do. I, I'm going to shrug my shoulders and just do whatever because it doesn't matter. My destiny is set. Christianity, on the other hand, says your destiny is set, so it matters that you make use of the provisions God gives you to get there. See, God gives provisions to enable his people to continue the race. 
What provisions does he give to get there? Well, we're going to talk about that next week. Stuart's going to talk about that next week. Helps for the race. He gives us the Bible. Through working by the Spirit, through the Bible, he teaches us his promises. He warns us to keep following the race, to keep trusting Jesus. And the elect do. He gives us a church community to love and support each other, help each other grow. There's going to be a lot to talk about there. These are the things God gives his people to get the end. So fatalists say, why bother going to church? It doesn't make any difference. And the Bible says, your actions make every impact to you and others finishing the race. So God is enabling you to finish, uh, to keep trusting in Jesus by his spirit, so make sure you keep trusting Jesus. God's enabling you to grow by his spirit, so pursue that growth. God gives his Bible and his church as the means through which he brings his chosen people to the end of the race. So make sure you read that Bible. Make sure you be part of that church. And make sure as part of that church you help others with that Bible and to keep being part of that church, trusting Jesus. See, we're talking about the resources God has at his disposal to make sure people get to the end of the race. You're one of the resources. I'm one of the resources. So we're not fatalists, because what you do does matter. And we're going to have to talk about that a lot more. Uh, but friends, we have a race ahead of us. If you haven't started the race yet, it starts by trusting in Jesus, and we'd love to talk to you about that today. Uh, if you are trusting in Jesus, there is a race set ahead of you, and there's two ways for it to end that are good. One of them is you die trusting Jesus, and one, the other one is the Lord Jesus returns to claim us all and bring us to his eternal kingdom. Where are you going to look for confidence? Well, we're talking about the God who saves, who really, fully, completely saves beginning to end. So call on him for help. Call on him for assurance. Let's do that now. Loving Heavenly Father, we want to acknowledge that your power to save, your provision for the race, is beyond what we can know or imagine fully. Uh, thank you for the insights you've given us into things that are massive and mind-boggling. Uh, we want to acknowledge that you're the God and Lord of all history and that everything exists in your hand and it's in your power to do or withhold. And therefore, Father, we want to uh, ask you for your help because you're the God who can help see us there. Thank you so much for the provisions you give us for the journey. We want to pray, Father, that our church, the Christians here, we would each grow in our assurance of our standing in Jesus Christ. Please help us to see these wonderful symptoms of new life growing us, even as we talk about it and, and, and think it through in the next few weeks. Please, Father, by your great power, see us through to the end of the race, to the day where we'll hear the Lord Jesus say, Welcome, my own good and faithful servant. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.